last day of May, otherwise known as Joy's birthday. <laughs> now, are you well stricken in years now? <laughs> well, that's a major accomplishment, and we're very proud of you for doing that. And uh, I've just I've heard people talk about how how young you look. All right, yeah, that's being recorded. We, we are in Deuteronomy chapter 20. Today is May 31st, and it's 2023. And I know that, you know, Deuteronomy as a whole, you know, there, it, it might not be the most exciting parts of the Bible, but it is a very transitional book in the Old Testament that gives us a whole lot of pictures types and pictures of things that uh, will be happening in the future, which the future is now. When that was written, the future was a long ways away. But now, the future has come, and we are living it, and we're looking at this uh, Word of God, and we have the benefit of seeing a lot of this stuff actually coming to pass, and now we're living in it. Uh, they were looking forward to something very great, and that was Jesus Christ showing up and walking on this earth and being the perfect sacrifice. Okay, so uh, last week in 19, we were talking about the cities of refuge, and that is a type. It's a picture of something special. Uh, now, now we're in 20, and this is basically talking about how the nation of Israel was to handle warfare. Warfare. Now, how are you going to get anything good out of this? Well, I think we can, because it's the Bible. All right, listen very closely. When thou goest out to battle against thine enemies and seest horses and chariots, and a people more than thou, be not afraid of them, for the Lord thy God is with thee, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. They have this part of their history that they should be so confident because of what God has done for them already. All of the miracles that they have witnessed in these years of wandering in the wilderness, they should have no problem at all with having faith in their Lord. They just shouldn't have any problem with it. We are to read the Word of God, and we're to see all that He did for His people, and then we know that we are now part of His people, and we should have that same kind of confidence. We should have that same kind of confidence today. Um, well, I guess since I've got something just popped into my head, and the reason it did is because last night uh, Cameron was doing the Bible study at the jail, and I'm, I'm sitting there beside him, being quiet, listening to... Uh, what he had to say, and he was talking about Hebrews chapter 11. And it, you know that if you know anything about Hebrews chapter 11, 
that is the Hall of Faith chapter. And it starts with our Christian definition of faith. And it, it says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So, he, he said, now what, what this word faith could be changed to confidence. All right? it, now, your total confidence, instead of faith, is the substance. Now, what, now that word is very uh, descriptive in that sub and then stance. Sub would be the foundation, right? You can't even see the foundation of a building, but everything else rests on it. See, we can't see Jesus right now, but He is the, the foundation that we build on. We can't really see Him, physically see Him, because He's hidden like a, like a foundation of a building would be hidden. And then the, the stance, that's what you, you know, just imagine, stance on top of this sub-foundation. And then it says, things hoped for. So, hoped, today, we say, we, we might say, I hope so, because we're doubting it's going to happen, but we want it to happen. But in the Bible, it means it's going to happen. It's an absolute thing that's going to happen, and I'm waiting for it, but I know it's coming. That's hope in the Bible. And then, evidence of things not seen. Everything that we can count on are things that are spiritual that we can't actually see, but we believe it anyway because of the total faith that we have in what our substance is built on, which is the rock of Jesus Christ. Alright? So we need to have that same kind of of um, basically no fear is what, is what they're getting at in, uh, in Deuteronomy 20, verse 1. You know, you look out and you see all of this, the, the numbers of, of, of uh, army, the people that are in the opposing army, there's way more. They have way more horses and chariots. And even though you're way outnumbered, and the equipment is way better than yours, and you look out there, you're supposed to look at them and go, God has destroyed them already, and you are to go out into that battle when it looks like, from a human's standpoint, you're looking at it going, uh, I'm putting my money on them, because they're way bigger, and these people are kind of stupid, because they're just marching to this like, like they're going to win. And then they do. And that happens over and over again in the Bible. When God is truly on your side, you will get the victory. And you should have no problem believing that. So in actual warfare back then, uh, they were supposed to have that kind of confidence. Now, if they didn't, as, as we'll see as we read on, they sent them home. 
if you, if you don't have confidence that you can go out into this battle, your fear is contagious, and you will not be accompanying us on this battle. You scared? Go home. Uh, think about Gideon. Gideon was a, was a scared person, and he was picked, and he was going to be the leader of this army, and he was given a whole lot of people, but it was still nowhere near the amount of who he was going up against. And he's looking at these few people, which was quite a bit, but not compared to who he was going up against. But then God said, you got too many. And Gideon's like, what? Too many? I don't have near enough. And he basically said that, you know, if you got scared people, you need to send them home. And then they go down to the river, and he tests them to see if they're ready for battle. And many of them fail that. And that many more, you know, more leave. And he's left with just a handful. And then they go down and have the victory. And Gideon, that's in Judges chapter 6. And 7 and 8 probably. Just for reference there. That just popped in my head. Uh, that's just a good example of a place in the Bible where you can read a story about, you know, numbers being taken away. We don't, you know, we just don't think that way. That's why we need to read the Bible more and uh, apply it more to our lives. All right, verse 2. And it shall be, let's see, did I read all of, uh, I don't think I read all of one. I did? All of one? Yeah, that's right, because I got, yeah. I, so they got out, they came out of Egypt, and that right there, that, that historical fact should have, been, should have been what would give them the confidence that they're being told to have. And it shall be when ye are come nigh unto the battle that the priest shall approach and speak unto the people. The priest. They're getting ready to go into battle and there's a priest that is going to come and talk to them before they go into the battle. You know, our military today the priest or the chaplain that they might have right now is going to be pitiful. And they will be very limited on what they can say and what they can pray about. They're going to have to be very generic because you've got all kinds of different religions represented, all that stuff. Uh, but we need to go back and look at uh, like Desmond Doss in World War II, who happened to be a Seventh-day Adventist, which we don't agree with their doctrine, uh, all of it. We, we agree with a lot of it. But even though he was not in a denomination that we would be a part of, he still showed this kind of confidence when he went into battle, and he prayed. He was severely persecuted because he... Uh, I can't, what was that movie, Hacksaw Ridge, I think? Um, Hacksaw Ridge, I'm pretty sure that's the name of the movie that I'm referring to. But Desmond Doss, and if I say his name wrong, you can correct me um, I, if I remember right, and I think he was from Virginia. What's that? Lynchburg. So, somebody very close to us. He wouldn't pick up a gun, but he wanted to go to battle and be a medic. He was not one bit afraid to go into battle. And he risked his life to save all those people that beat him up 
before they ever went to battle because he was different. He stood on what he believed, and he would not waver. And then by the time, you know, the end of the movie, the guys wouldn't go into battle until he prayed. You know, the commander would call in and go, what's up? What's the hold up? Get moving. They're like, nope, these guys ain't going nowhere until he prays. Well, hurry up. Tell him to pray. <laughs> so um, we need true godly chaplains in the military, and we need to pray before we go into battles. Uh, you know, back in, uh, in World War II time, when those planes were retaliating, you know, American planes were retaliating for the bombing of Pearl Harbor, and it was basically a suicide mission. And all the people who, who designed it and ordered it, they knew that they couldn't get there. And D-Day, for many of those soldiers, it was a suicide mission. And the president actually got on the radio and prayed to America when those two things were happening. The president got on the radio and prayed on the radio for God to be with them, and to protect them and to uh, for, uh, pray for miracles. And, of course, the planes that I was talking to at first, they, they made it to where they were supposed to go. And uh, many of them survived because they were able to make crash landings in a safe place. But uh, if you did the math, there was no way they had enough fuel to do that. But they did it anyway. All right, I'm at three. And shall say unto them, he, oh yeah, the priest is going to speak to the people, and, and shall say unto them, Hear, O Israel, ye approach this day unto battle against your enemies. Let not your hearts faint, fear not, and do not tremble, neither be ye terrified because of them. For the Lord your God is he that goeth with you to fight for you against your enemies, to save you. And the officers shall speak unto the people, saying, What man is there that hath built a new house and hath not dedicated it? Let him go and return to his house, lest he die in the battle and another man dedicate it. Well, isn't that interesting? Okay, so, all right, first it says to fear not before we get to the dedication of the house. First thing is you don't fear. In Isaiah, I wrote down a verse, Isaiah 41 verse 10 says, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Isaiah 41, verse 10. Okay, so now, this, this house, the priest has prayed over them and instructed them, told them not to fear, and then we've got this house. This young soldier is about ready to go into battle, and then they find out that this soldier has built a house, or he has acquired this new house, 
and he hasn't even had a chance to dedicate it. Well, there is a, a psalm. Think about this psalm. Y'all hear me? Psalm 30. Psalm 30. And there, you know, there is a title on these psalms. And evidently, the titles that you see on the psalm is what was in the original, and that's what's in our Bibles. So if you have a Bible and you look up a psalm, there's a very good chance you're going to have a title for the psalm. Now, if you have a reference Bible or some type of study Bible, sometimes you've got little headings over sections of scriptures that are not in original stuff. That's just to help you understand what section of scripture you're in and what it might be about. But these titles for the psalms evidently was part of the actual psalm. And you need to, and the title could be very important. So the title of Psalm 30 is A Psalm and Song at the Dedication of the House of David. Isn't that cool? And it and it's a it's a fairly popular psalm. There's a there's a few very key phrases or or verses that are in Psalm 30 that would be very uh, familiar to you. So I, I think we should go ahead and read it. It says, I will extol thee, O Lord, for thou hast lifted me up and hast not made my foes to rejoice over me. O Lord my God, I cried unto thee, and thou hast healed me. O Lord, thou hast brought up my soul from the grave. Thou hast kept me alive that I should not go down to the pit. Sing unto the Lord, O ye saints of his, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holiness. For his anger endureth but a moment, in his favor is life. Weeping may endure for, the, for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. And in my prosperity I said, I shall never be moved. Lord, by thy favor thou hast made my mountain to stand strong. Thou didst hide thy face, and I was troubled. I cried, cried to thee, O Lord, and unto the Lord I made supplication. What profit is there in my blood when I go down to the pit? Shall the dust praise thee? Shall it declare thy truth? Hear, O Lord, and have mercy upon me. Lord, be thou my helper. Thou hast turned for me my mourning... Not, not a time of day, but the other morning, into dancing, thou hast put off my sackcloth, which you would put on if you were mourning, and girded me with gladness, to the end that my glory may sing praise to thee and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks unto thee forever. You know, these psalms are... Uh, when you, when you go through the psalms, you're going to see worship. You're going to see supplication and you know, prayers, but you're going to see mostly, you're going to see thankfulness, a whole lot of thankfulness. And you know, it's something that we don't do a really good job at is... You know, we try to have what we call a worship service on Sunday mornings. 
Most of the time, our worship services really shouldn't be called a worship service. They're actually kind of pitiful when it comes to worship. We get ministered to through the Word. We're really good at that. But being ministered to is not worship. It's what we do toward God, which is worship. He does all this stuff for us, but yet, what do we do for Him? And, you know, I, I, all right, he's, Ecclesiastes, listen, listen to this, this is really good. This is really, really good. Ecclesiastes 1.7. I want you to think about rivers flowing and think about God's ministry to us and He's always giving to us. <clears throat> and as we, our needs are supplied, we are to give thanks back to Him give time to Him, relationship with Him, in reading His Word, just sitting and wanting to be with Him, uh, praying to Him. You know, we get so busy and all wrapped up into life, and we're enjoying everything that He's done for us, but what have we done for Him? Just a simple stopping long enough to have relationship with your Heavenly Father. Um, so this, this verse, so picture these rivers flowing into the sea, and uh, I'm reading now this little book I got. It's called, um, it's, it's one that I have been looking for for a while, and I finally got it, and it's called Worship, the Christian's Highest Occupation from A.P. Gibbs from a long time ago. It says, long ago, Solomon made the discovery that though all the rivers ran into the sea, yet the sea did not become any fuller thereby. So think about that. All the rivers flowing into the sea, and he noticed way back then that the seas never got any deeper. He correctly assigned the reason as follows, which is uh, Ecclesiastes 1.7. It says, Unto the place from whence the rivers come, thither they return. That's part of that verse. So, he's, it, it, this A.P. Gibbs guy said, Thus the spiritual life which flows from God to us returns to Him in worship from us, and thus the divine cycle is complete. So, the water, which we know could be the washing of the Word, water, but mostly it's rain and the streams. That can be the Holy Spirit coming down and, and um, giving us all that we need. And that Holy Spirit, with us being in Christ, the Holy Spirit teaches us how to worship our Heavenly Father. So the waters go into the ocean. Those waters evaporate and go up into the sky. You can't see it. Sometimes you can see it, but the water evaporates and goes back into the heavens. It pours down into the earth, and the rivers just, it, it just keeps the cycle. So, if you have, here, here's one of my points of, of sharing that. If you have anybody say to you, the ocean levels are rising, and they're all freaked out over it, look at them and say, because you're not worshiping the Lord enough. 
Because in Ecclesiastes 1.7, Solomon said, I mean, is it Solomon? Yeah, Solomon said, the rivers, all the rivers flow into the ocean. It should rise up, but he noticed it didn't. So you need to worship more. Because if it's, if it's actually filling up, that's because you're not worshiping God the way you should be. Does that make sense? All right. Now let's go to, back to Deuteronomy. This dedication of the house. So you got this guy who has this house, and he, he wants to... Um, anytime you get something brand new like that, you're extremely excited about it. And what a shame it would be. You know, I think about all the young men who never were able... You know, we just had Memorial Day. And when I think about Memorial Day, I think about all these young men who went into battle who had never had a house, never had a wife, never got to experience any of those wonderful things in life and went and died. Well, is that the right thing to do to a young man? According to the Bible here, you should never send somebody that young into battle if they haven't first get married. And you should have at least one year with your new wife before you ever go to battle. We're going to see that as we keep reading. Uh, next verse. It says, uh, 6, it says, and, and what man is he that hath planted a vineyard and hath not yet eaten of, of it? Let him also go and return unto his house, lest he die in the battle, and another man eat of it. What a shame it would be that he, he prepared this vineyard or fruit trees, whatever, and he hasn't even eaten any of them yet. And he's, they were about ready to come to the time where he can enjoy it, and now he's going off to war. Don't make him go. Let him go back to his house and at least eat of the fruit, and then he can come serve. All right, what's next? And what, and what man is there that hath betrothed a wife, so he has been engaged to this woman, and now this war has popped up, and he's being called to go to battle, and they find out that he was about ready to get married, and hath not taken her, let him go and return unto his house, lest he die in the battle, and another man take her. So, there it is, right there. And the officer shall speak further unto the people, and they shall say, What man is there that is fearful and faint-hearted? Let him go and return unto his house, lest his, brethren, his brethren's heart faint as well as his heart. So there's the fear again. So if all of these things are listed as laws of Israel of who goes to battle or not. Okay, if, if I, I'm pretty sure that this is talking about wars that they are going into, they planned, and they're going into, because they've already been told you're going into Canaan and you're going to wipe these people out. But there's also wars that happen when you might get invaded. Well, if you're being invaded, you're not going to go through this list and say, oh, you haven't dedicated your house. No, everybody's getting their weapons and they're fighting right away because you're not going to have a house to go to. You're not going to have this woman to go back to. You have to, everybody's going to fight, protect their land. So you've got to understand that you know, this has got some different meaning to it this wouldn't happen in every situation. Okay, and I think it's broken up 
to where the first ten verses are talking about you going into the land of, of this promised land, you've been instructed to go in, they were told to wipe everything out. Now there's also, then, there's, then there's battles that you are going to go to another area to fight. And those are going to be a little bit different rules. So people say the Bible contradicts itself. Well, here it says they wipe everybody out, man, woman, child. Well, over here they're saying uh, you don't kill the, the, the women and the children. It, you know, it's contradictory. No, it's just two different situations. It's a different type of war. If you're going into a place that has idols galore, everybody's been infected, and if you don't wipe everything out and have it totally clean, then you're going to fall into that idolatry. But, and it's also going to talk in this chapter about how you are to offer a peace agreement with the people you're about ready to go in and conquer. Well, that didn't apply to the land of Canaan. There was no going in there and say, okay, if, you, uh, if you'll sign this treaty, we won't kill you. That wasn't an option for them. But there was other places where it would be. And it shall be when the officers have made an end of speaking unto the people that they shall make captains of the armies to lead the people. When thou comest nigh unto a city to fight against it, then proclaim peace unto it. So that's why the Bible scholars say that this is a transition. This is, they're, they're, they're preparing for war against the people in Canaan, but now this would be to others. So there's that, that, there's that opportunity for a peace treaty before the battle ever happens, right there in that verse. 11, and it shall be, if it, make thee, if it make thee answer of peace and open unto thee, then it shall be that all the people that is found therein shall be tributaries unto thee, and they shall serve thee. So basically, they would have to... It's, there's all kinds of uh, things you could look back on to where it was different things that they would do as far as what the agreements were for them to, to live uh, together, <clears throat> they would have to abandon all of their pagan ways and basically agree to believe the way they did. <clears throat> all right, 12. And if it will make no peace with thee, but will make war against thee, then thou shalt besiege it. And when the Lord thy God hath delivered it into thine hand, see, it doesn't say, and if the Lord thy God delivers it into your hand. This it, is very confident. You know, like you went in and say, all right, we're in the, in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I mean, this is the God. He's with us, and he's instructed us to come in here and make war against you. Here's the peace treaty. I want to sign it, and here's the terms. And they said, no. Well, they're not believers. They're not believing in the God. They're not like a Rahab at Jericho. They're not like, like, like her at all. So they, they, they decline and say, no, we're going to fight you. Well, sorry. Well, here we come. And when the Lord thy God hath delivered it into thine hands, thou shalt smite every male thereof with the edge of the sword. Ouch. So all the men die. 
But the women and the little ones and the cattle and all that is in the city, even all the spoil thereof, shalt thou take unto thyself, and thou shalt eat the spoil of thine enemies, which the Lord thy God hath given thee. Thus shalt thou do unto all the cities which are very far off from thee. There it is. There's the explanation. Very far off from thee, which are not of the cities of these nations. So it's a different way of handling the battles if they're a long ways away or if they're where you're going to be living. <clears throat> but of the cities of these people which the Lord thy God doeth give thee for an inheritance thou shalt save alive nothing that breatheth. So the ones that they're going to occupy in Canaan, then nobody lives. You're, wiping, you're utterly destroying it. But thou shalt utterly destroy them, namely the Hittites and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, as the Lord thy God hath commanded thee, that they teach you not to do after all their abominations. You see the difference? Are you picking up on the difference here? Which they have done unto their gods, little g-gods, so should ye sin against the Lord your God. Oh, no, we won't. It's, it's okay, God. We, we, we'll be fine. It, don't, it doesn't matter if, you know, that thing, at, uh, if that bar is still over there and that strip club's over here. I mean, we won't pay any attention to that. Nah, sorry. Wipe it all out. Because they had proven over and over again that if you left anything around, they were going to be going, wonder why they're so interested in that. And we do the same thing today. We let the temptations hang around thinking we're strong enough, and then our, our, our uh, lustful flesh ends up falling. <clears throat> 19. When thou shalt besiege a city a long time in making war against it, to take it thou shalt not destroy the trees thereof by forcing an axe against them, for thou mayest eat of them. So he's talking about fruit trees. And thou shalt not cut them down, for the tree of the field is man's life. Well, the Bible says uh, there's, there's, a lot, there's way more to life than just food, but it also will let you know that without food, you don't have much life. To employ them in the siege. So men who go into war, they are very likely to destroy and to go overboard. And they need to be instructed, be careful what you destroy when you go in. You know, that tree over there, you can cut it down and use it for something because it doesn't bear anything that we could eat. But don't destroy that tree and that tree and that tree. Oh, okay, okay, we'll be careful. 20, only the trees which thou knowest that they be not trees for meat or food, Thou shalt destroy and cut them down, and thou shalt build bulwarks against the city that maketh war with thee until it be subdued. So, as Christians, we can be not tree huggers, but tree savers. <clears throat> All right, so that is, uh, now, now, this idolatry thing, you know, you might, you might think that that's extreme. 
you know, going into this land and kill everything that breathes. Just wipe it out. It seems so brutal. But, you know, I've, I've been reading, and I think you have been reading, The Return of the Gods by Jonathan Kahn. I've been reading this book, and I'm not going through it real fast. I'm about halfway through it, but I've got other things I've been reading. I've got too many other things that I want to read. But this is, you know, I used to, I used to say, you know what, those, those other gods are false gods. There's nothing to them. But I would be very wrong in thinking that. <clears throat> they should be nothing to me. Should, should, I should have the Holy Spirit inside of me, and I shouldn't worry about other spirits getting in me and making me do these bad things. But as a nation, we've been talking a whole lot about that lately. We've been looking, we've, as we're going through Deuteronomy, we see places, certain chapters of Deuteronomy are geared toward, and they're, they're being written to individuals. And, and maybe all the individuals, but, they're, but you can tell they're, they're, it's being written to individuals. And then there are chapters where it's talking about the whole nation. And we are to be people who, as a nation, we need to be people who fear the Lord, have, have uh, this awe of the Lord, fear Him in, the, in that He can destroy us, if he wants to, at any moment. And we are to have a strong nation by being followers of Christ and wanting to follow God's ways. And we are to be an example of that. And the, one of the most important things is to invite God to be a part of what you're doing and to show God that you're serious by following his ways. That's what a nation should do. A civilization should do that. And from history, we can see that the people who follow God, God blesses them as a nation. When people push God out, then he leaves. He doesn't have to. But he's not a God that forces and makes you do something. That shows free will is a real thing. And the human being has fallen on their face so many times throughout history because of free will. But God wants to know if you really love him and really want him. You know, there was a, a in, in this worship book, he has this little, little short story that talks about this uh, little girl. You know, little kids are always wanting things. You know, if they, if they come in the house, it's because they want something. And this mother was in the house, and she was ironing. So that was a long time ago. Does anybody iron anymore? <laughs> this, this was written a long time ago. So this woman was in the house ironing, and her little girl comes running in the house and plops down and sits down and is just sitting there looking at her. And she said, honey, uh, what do you want? And she said, mama, I don't want anything. I just want to sit here and look at you and love you. Now, that's as sweet as it can be. She didn't want anything from her mother. She just wanted to worship her mother, basically. I mean, not worship her like we would worship God, but that's what God wants from us sometimes. Is it The only time you show up to church or show up in prayer is because you want something? I want, I want, I want. Do you ever show up 
to God and sit there and say, I just want to look at you and I want to love you. That's all I'm here for. You know, that's an important lesson in worship that we need to, to learn. And when we want God to be with us, then things are going to be better and we're going to be protected from those evil gods that are out there, these, these uh, demons that are very willing to take the place of where God was. If we push God out, if we don't want the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us, then evil things are waiting to fill that void. <clears throat> so, you know, I don't really have time to get into some of the things I wanted to get into, but one of the, one of the things that this book talks about is um, this, if you read the book, you're going to come across this god, goddess, and it looks like Istar. It's I-S-H-T-A-R. Now, it, I haven't read anywhere in here where it says how you pronounce it. And if you just look at that, you're going to say Ishtar. Now, I was told a long time ago that that word is pronounced Easter. Easter, which was a pagan holiday with her name. Now, this, this person, or this goddess, she's also referred to as Venus. That's what the Romans called her. She was uh, Astaroth, was, an, was another nation that called her Astaroth. And then, then Istar, or Easter, and many other names. She has, she has multiple names depending on what people are worshiping her. But it's the same goddess. And she is the goddess of feminism, sexuality, all woman, to where you would notice her as a woman. One of the images of her was, was naked, covered in jewels. But then there was another image of her where she had a shield and a sword and she was ready for war. So she was also a very masculine goddess as well. And one of her, one of her things was, uh, was to alter people's affections, passions, thoughts, and at times their essence. She was to confuse them. She wanted to make woman, womanly things, feminine things, masculine, and masculine things feminine. That's one of her things that she did. And, and her goals were, uh, so she would seek to alter the definition of male and female. It would move to blur the lines and nullify the distinctions between the two. It would act to transform the nature of man and woman. It would seek to fem feminize all that was male and masculinize all that was female. It would attempt to turn man into woman and woman into man. Wow. You know, when, you, when you read Romans 1, you will see that this is what's going on. And we're seeing it right now in America. We have become very pagan, very pagan. And we have allowed idols to come back into America. We have, we have uh, pushed God out, and the demons have been very happy to come in and replace. And now we're suffering for it. So you, you may have heard stories, news uh, stories about 
the testosterone level of males in America has been declining rapidly over the years. Uh, boys are not turning into the men that we used to have. Um, girls are wanting to do more manly stuff. We've got a lot of girls who, who don't want anything to do with boys anymore, and they want to be their own man, and they want to, if they want to go into combat. They want to, they want to do anything a man can do. And they have become just so into that. Sounds just like what I just read. Women wanting to be men and men wanting to be women. And we've got so many men that you hear about on the news that have, they're, they're changing, they want to be women and they're competing in women's sports, but they're men. And very few people have enough guts to call it out as ludicrous. You have very few leaders in America who have enough um, courage to say what it is. But, what, you know, something that popped into my mind when I was reading about this goddess, how she was very feminine and womanly, but yet fierce and ready to kill, Wonder Woman popped into my head. And I was like, that makes me really sad. I really like Wonder Woman. And when I was a boy, I didn't think anybody could outdo Linda Carter. But the new one, wow, she's awesome. And the only reason I'm saying that is because I just want to make sure you know I'm still masculine. <clears throat> On the Unashamed podcast, uh, Jason and Al were the two older brothers, and Jason and Al shared a room, and they had a picture of Wonder Woman. Linda Carter, Wonder Woman, on their wall. They were so proud of it. And they were, they were teenage boys. And then one day they came into the room and they noticed that a black Sharpie had been used to color in certain parts of it. The, the little skimpy shorts were long shorts and, you know, other parts of it was filled in where you couldn't see certain things. And they thought that it was their little brothers were playing a trick on them. And they got mad about ready to beat up their brothers. Then they found out it was their mom who had come in there with the black sharpie and fix that picture. <clears throat> All right, so I hope that was entertaining because I, after reading 20 and trying to prep for chapter 20 of Deuteronomy, I'm like, this is going to be kind of dull, and I hope that was exciting for you. And um, having Eric in here for a little while, that made it a little more exciting. So let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer. And let's try to remember what true worship is, and let's try to be a people that are more in line with true worship. Not just saying we worship, but let's be a people who worship. Heavenly Father, we come to you now. Father, we are, we are just sorry. We're, we just feel, feel bad that you know, we need to be more like the little girl who didn't want anything from her mother, but she just wanted to sit there and look at her and love her. And Father, we are guilty of just coming to you when we need things. And Father, you have provided for us. You've done way more than we've ever deserved. And Father, we need to be better at returning thanks to you. 
to worship you because you are an amazing God. And Father, you love us. You've helped us. You've given us the way to live this life. You've given us a way to live here and then to be with you for eternity. And Father, we look forward to that day. But while we're here, we want to make a commitment to worship you more, to stand on your word, to teach and preach and minister to as many people as we can to help them to come to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.